Hello and welcome to a Reorg special podcast on a new Dutch scheme of arrangement. My name is Sean Kureshi and I'm a legal analyst at Reorg. Today I'm joined by Nico Tollenaar, partner at law firm Resort, and we will be discussing some of the key features of the new Dutch process. The Netherlands has taken steps to legislate for the introduction of the new Dutch restructuring tool, which has similarities to the English scheme of arrangement and the US Chapter 11. The process looks like it could provide a credible alternative to the existing procedures. So, Nico, let's start by discussing the final amends that were made to the initial bill through the Dutch parliamentary process. Is the final bill close in form to what was initially presented? Hi, it is very close, or it is fairly close to what was initially presented to Parliament. Um, the expectation was that it would be completely non-controversial. That didn't turn out to be the case. It was actually, um, it did turn out to be quite controversial. There were a couple of uh, amendments made. The two most important ones are these. Um, the first is that a separate, a new separate class has been introduced of small trade creditors and tort claimants. So you have to form this new separate class. In principle, they have to be offered 20% under the terms of the plan. Uh, and if not, the plan cannot be crammed down on them against their will unless there is some imperative reason to offer them less. So that has been introduced to offer, well, you could say small creditors and tort claimants some extra protection. We don't think that in practice this will um, have a significant impact on large restructurings in the international context because in those cases mostly uh, trade creditors are paid in full anyway and the restructuring concerns mainly um, the financial debt. I think that's one I think that's one, one, one important amendment. The second is that under the initial bill, a plan could only be crammed down um, against the will of an in-the-money class if that in-the-money class had the option to choose for a payment in cash equal to what they would have received in liquidation. Uh, that was referred to as the cash-out option, and the purpose of that was to protect senior creditors' exit rights Now, that has been abolished, so um, the new scheme as adopted by Parliament is actually, you could could even say, more powerful than than, than the the procedure as it was initially presented, because now you can actually cram down a plan over the uh, descent of a a senior class um, by offering it non-cash, so essentially a, a debt instrument. You cannot offer them equity, but you can offer them um, a debt instrument instead of uh, cash or equity. Okay, great. So um, let's talk a bit about the proposed process under the Dutch scheme. So by way of context, under an English scheme, the court has a role in overseeing the restructuring process, and it will be ultimately required to confirm or to sanction the restructuring plan. Creditors, debtors and shareholders would all have the opportunity in the English scheme of arrangement to come to the court before voting and to express their views. How will the process work for the Dutch scheme and what rights do the key parties have? Um, yeah, so you should think of the Dutch scheme very much as a standalone plan procedure, actually very much like the English scheme, with an important difference being that you don't have a convening hearing at the beginning, but it all takes place outside of a formal insolvency process. 
so in that sense, um, yeah, very, very scheme-like. Um, affected creditors and shareholders have to be given adequate information. They have to have the right to vote. And then you simply have a confirmation hearing as the court uh, decides on confirmation, and that is the end of the story. No appeal. So um, th that is the minimum court involvement that you would have in this process. Only a single confirmation decision, hearing and decision, and that's it. Uh, now, the court can be involved um, at various other points in the procedure. For instance, if there's a request for a moratorium or a request to protect new interim um, um, money coming in against clawback risk um, and um, other things like that. So the court can be involved at various other points, but in principle, it is conceivable that you go through the entire process with only having um, court involvement at one single point being confirmation. Okay. So that's that's the process. Now, let's, let's sort of talk about it in a comparative way to the the English scheme. So one of the biggest shortfalls of the existing English scheme of arrangement, ignoring the new super scheme for a moment now, is the lack of cross-class cramdown. So what that means for the existing scheme is that it must be approved by each class of affected creditors before it can be implemented. This means, for example, that in the current English scheme, it cannot be used to affect the rights of junior creditors or shareholders without consent, their consent as a class. Now, what this means is that in practice is that where there's a debt for equity swap without shareholder consent, the process usually needs to include some sort of enforcement event uh, whereby the old shareholders are left behind. Now, how does the Dutch scheme introduce cross-class cramdown? And can it, for example, be used to implement a debt for equity swap without a sort of separate enforcement procedure? talk about the um, absolute priority rule. Now, the English scheme we know allows for a departure from it, where, for example, the English court will consider whether a restructuring proposals are fair when compared to the most likely alternative, 
which is usually a liquidation. The US Chapter 11 process does adopt the absolute priority rule. Now, how does the Dutch scheme deal with this rule? The system is, follows the US system. So uh, in order to cram a plan down over the objections of a dissenting class, the absolute priority rule has to be observed. It is formulated slightly differently to the US rule. Um, it is formulated in the, in the, in the Dutch pr procedure simply as you know, the applicable order of priority has to be respected in respect of the dissenting class. There is room to deviate from that, um, and, and on that basis, some parties have actually dubbed this as kind of a maybe a relative priority rule, which I don't think is quite accurate. But you can deviate um, from the absolute priority rule in certain, certain special circumstances, which are actually also exceptions that have been accepted and acknowledged in the US system, such as a new value exception, um, situations where you know equity, you have sweat equity, so the um, equity holder is entrepreneur and contributes to the business in that sense. There is room to, to, to depart from the absolute priority rule in such circumstances, but in broad terms, it is simply the absolute priority rule that, that is applied in the Dutch procedure. Let's talk about um, enforcement actions by, by creditors and, and states. So, for example, in the US, as we discussed before, once a Chapter 11 filing is made, there is this worldwide state on enforcement actions by creditors, and there is also a ban on the operation of ipso facto clauses. The current English scheme uh, do not benefit from this protection. How does the Dutch scheme deal with this? You know, is there a state on enforcement by creditors, and how are ipso facto clauses uh, affected? Yeah, absolutely. There, there is a um, moratorium. There is no automatic general moratorium once this process is commenced like the US. And that is deliberate because if you have this general automatic stay, that affects everyone. You generally need you know, general publicity, which, uh, you know, which might impact the business, has a negative stigma, um, creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, it is deliberate not to have an automatic stay. A stay, a moratorium, can be requested um, by the debtor, and it, either a general stay that affects everyone, and if you have a general stay, then obviously that requires general publicity, but the debtor can also choose for a very bespoke, tailored stay that only affects one or two creditors um, or specific creditors that are seeking to take enforcement action, in which case, the stay only has to be notified to those parties and you don't need this general publicity which has a negative stigma. So you could say you have a, a very tailor-made uh, moratorium stay uh, at request and not automatic. Um, it lasts for a period of four months and can then be extended for another period of four months. It can affect anyone in the capital structure, any of the creditors of the debtor. So there is no carve-up, for instance, for vending contracts, financial contracts, as you see with this new moratorium as is proposed in, um, under the new UK reforms. The Dutch moratorium is broad and works against everyone, secure creditors, preferential creditors, financial creditors. Um, it works everyone. Um, so it is, it is very powerful. And it also gives the company the ability to continue using secured working capital, particularly cash collateral, so that it continue to um, can continue to operate 
during the moratorium and, and, and the stay. So you have a very powerful, broad moratorium in place if needed and, and not if not needed. Yeah, okay, so that's that's really useful for helping helping the company to continue o- operating during uh, the moratorium. But what about the, your financing that company? So we know that Chapter 11 provides provides for, the, uh, for a super senior financing. Does the Dutch also allow for a court-approved super senior financing? And how do we expect that pra- practitioners are going to fund this process? Um, so... In the, I, I, I don't anticipate that funding is going to be a, a, new, a big problem. One of the measures that you have uh, under the uh, new Dutch procedure is the ability to ask the court to approve new financing coming in and security granted in favor of that new money provider against clawback risk. So you can bring in new interim money without clawback risk simply by asking courts to approve that. I think that's a very powerful and useful measure. Um, What you don't have is the ability to, uh, on an an interim basis, so outside the context of the plan itself, um, pending the proposal of the plan, what you cannot do is you cannot grant security that ranks ahead of pre-existing security that was already created in favor of the existing lenders. So you don't have this notion of priming liens that you have in the US. Um, You don't have that, but what you can do is you can bring in new money that ranks ahead of existing security um, on the basis of the plan itself. Now, I think that uh, you know those those provisions, the ability to protect new money coming in against callback risk. Um, you know, and when I say new money, I mean interim money pending the proposal of the plan, and the ability to grant uh, security ahead of existing security under the terms of the plan um, should should be sufficient to, to to fund the process. Okay. And of course, you, you always have the ability to grant super super. Um, um, seniority, which also happens in the UK and generally also in the US, with consent of the existing lenders, and that happens all of the time. So, so that is uh, an option as well, of course. Yeah. One one question you asked me earlier was was how ipsa facto con- uh, um, clauses are dealt with, and it's interesting just to. Uh, speak a little bit more broadly about how contracts are dealt with generally under the Dutch procedure, because I think that is also, there are also some valuable tools there. So in terms of preserving valuable contracts, um, it is good to note that ipsa facto clauses are invalidated across the, the board, but not only ipsa facto clauses, also change of control clauses, because if you have a debt for equity swap, um, you typically do have a change of control, yeah. and you don't want that to result in all of your valuable co- contracts all of a sudden falling away. So not only if a factor, but also change of control clauses are invalidated to facilitate that for equity swaps. Mm. Um, suppliers can be forced to continue performing uh, and supplying to the company even uh, if there is a, a default that has occurred pre-commencement. Um, for the purpose of keeping the business ongoing and onerous burdensome contracts such as leases that the company doesn't need anymore can be terminated or you know, and that is very similar uh, similar to the ability under US law to reject um, 
uh, executive contracts, the counterparty obtains a damages claim for premature uh, termination, and that damages claim is an ordinary unsecured claim that can then be restructured under the terms of the plan. So that's how um, burdensome contracts are dealt with, and it's a very powerful means of actually uh, solving what is, uh, in first instance, a profit and loss problem, converting that into a balance sheet problem, and then subsequently solving that balance sheet problem, um, and is, is, a, is a useful reflection tool. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so one of the one of the main you know positives about both the English scheme and the Chapter Eleven is particularly where you have a you know large cross border element to your debtor, they can obtain foreign recognition, and I think you'll agree that's that's an essential skill to have for for a restructuring tool. How do you expect that the Dutch scheme will be recognised both within the European Union and then also in the US? So under the Dutch scheme, you'll have you'll actually have two variants of this Dutch scheme, um, and the debtor can choose which of the two it wants to use, and maybe within the group it can even combine. The one variant will fall under the European Insolvency Regulation, and the other variant will fall outside of the European Insolvency Regulation. Now this means that you have a different regime for jurisdiction and recognition. As far as jurisdiction is concerned, the variant that falls under the European Solvency Regulation, jurisdiction will be based on economy and establishment, um, which is rather res restrictive. Um, the variant that falls outside of the European Solvency Regulation, jurisdiction will be based on sufficient connection. Now, sufficient connection as interpreted under Dutch law, but I also think as interpreted under English law, is very much broader than economy will give the, the Dutch courts much broader jurisdiction um, in respect of um, debtors, also companies, debtors um, located outside of the, of the Netherlands. So um, that's how jurisdiction will be dealt with under those two variants. In terms of recognition, again, the variant that falls under the European Insolvency regu Regulation will benefit from automatic recognition in the e EU. The variant that falls outside of the European Insolvency reg uh, uh, Regulation, the recognition of those proceedings will depend on the domestic um, private international law rules in the various jurisdictions where you need recognition or international treaties. Um, in one case, that might be adequate. In the other case, it might not. And you, you might then that might be a reason to choose for the variant that falls under the European Insolvency Regulation. But by being able to pick and choose between these two variants, whatever works best, it gives a lot of flexibility in dealing with international restructurings and and, um, and corporate international corporate groups. Now, as far as recognition in the U.S. is concerned, I think that will not be a problem for either of the variants, because I think they will be will both be recognised under um, Chapter Fifteen. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of flexibility there. As a final question, how do you expect that the new Dutch scheme will be able to assist debtors during the COVID nineteen crisis? I think it will be very, uh, very. It's going to be a very valuable tool to deal with problems 
that are a direct result of COVID. In fact, the Dutch government has expedited this whole legislative process and has pushed to get the Dutch scheme adopted and enter into force as quickly as possible because of the whole COVID crisis. So it is also seen generally as a very, very valuable tool for those purposes. You'll be able to deal with a lot of problems that are now arising, you know, unsustainable liabilities, unsustainable contracts. You'll be able to get rid of those contracts. You'll be able to um, get rid of unsustainable debt. Um, you have a, an effective moratorium in place four months to start off with that is very broad and will give debtors the breathing space that they need to um, hammer out a more structural solution with, with their creditors. Um, there are, of course, also things that um, the scheme will not be able to solve. And that regards, I think, in particular, um, ongoing contracts that the company needs to retain. You cannot unilaterally change whilst you can entirely terminate a contract. You cannot keep a contract and then simply tweak its terms a little bit because that would be forcing, compelling the counterparty to perform at terms that it doesn't accept. So you cannot do that, um, which means that in, for the contracts that the company needs to retain, you know, those might not be serviceable uh, in, in the short term. Think of leases that you wanted to keep, but you, the company cannot pay the, uh, the rent. You'll have to hammer that out on a voluntary basis or with other legal instruments, but the scheme will not be able to solve that, i.e. Um, servicing ongoing contracts that the company needs to retain. And, of course, there you have, you know, you, employees might need to be made redundant, and that cannot be done under the Dutch scheme. There's broad general carve-outs for employee contracts, the scheme, the Dutch scheme doesn't give the ability to terminate employee contracts. You can deal with all other contracts except those. And of course, in a situation where a company needs to downsize its workforce, um, it'll, it'll, it'll still uh, face the challenges that you have to, to do so under Dutch law generally. So, yes, absolutely a powerful tool, can deal with a lot of uh, problems, but certainly not, uh, not, not, not everything. Okay. Well, thanks, Nico. That's all we've got time for today. Um, we look forward to seeing the Dutch scheme used in the future, and also look forward to having you back on, Nico. Thanks to all of our yeah, listeners. Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nico. Thanks to all of our listeners for yeah, joining us today you. too, and uh, have a great day. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Sean.